Bulls Gold is delivered to you via the Barroom Network, now in its seventh year of providing podcasts about Chicago sports, movies, and more. Make sure to subscribe to the Barroom Network for free and easy downloads of its programming. And visit its merchandising store at deepdishtees.com to purchase t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs. Now, on with the show. Salim Sudawala. Salim, how are you doing today? Ed, I'm doing great. It's a great Sunday. Excited to talk some Bulls. Uh, we, we finally have a resolution on the Larry Markinen saga, which was kind of getting frustrating a little bit for all parties involved, for fans, for Larry, for I'm sure uh, the Bulls front office trying to figure out uh, that situation. But yeah, we have we have a lot to talk about. So uh, it should be a fun episode. Yeah, we have uh, we have a lot to break down with the Lowry Markin and trade that went down Friday involving the Cleveland Cavaliers and Portland Trailblazers. So we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about the ramifications of that. We're going to talk about the newest bull, Derek Jones Jr., who last played with the Portland Trailblazers and joining us to give us some insight from the Portland side of things as well on Derek Jones Jr., uh, he is a contributor to Blazers Edge. He also hosts Jack Ramsey on the Blue Wire Pods, and he also is a co-host of Blazers Outsider, Danny Morang. Danny, thank you for joining us. Hey, not a problem at all, guys. It's uh, it's always fun to talk uh, talk basketball, and I don't have to sit here and talk about the uh, situation around Damian Lillard. So uh, it's 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 good to be here. Yeah, yeah, it should be it should be fun uh, getting your insight on all things uh, Derek Jones Jr. Yeah, absolutely. And so let me ask you this to start. Did this trade surprise you given the Blazers' involvement in it? Because I, I think a lot of the discussion around Lowry Markin and leading up to this was uh, Dallas for a little bit. Then there was Charlotte. So there wasn't really any three-team trade that really seemed to be on anyone's radar, especially with Cleveland being the one to get Lowry Markin. But the Blazers being involved was certainly a surprise. So what did you think when it uh, crossed? Uh, the Blazers move in silence. Mm. Uh, you know, re- real, real G's like lasagna. You know, it's, it's, right. uh, <laughs> it's, you don't, you don't hear about it unless the other side leaks it. Uh, that's typically how it goes. I had heard rumblings that they were kicking around Lowry a couple weeks ago. Um, I, I had thrown out. Um, real quick, I, I am not a reporter. I will never be a reporter. I have plenty of friends who are reporters. I don't ever want to be in the news breaking business. I want to be the fly on the wall that knows what's going on so I can kind of have a better understanding of how to frame things. And I heard that they were kicking around. Um, but the problem they were going to run into was Derek Jones is at 9.7. And I heard Lowry was going to be around 11 and a half, 12. Well, the Blazers are dodging the, the luxury tax because if they hit it this year they'll be in the repeater so right right going in before this trade they were five hundred fifty thousand dollars behind the tax so they were still clear of it so they had basically that to work with which means they would offer you know if if it was a sign and trade lowry could get 
a little over 10 and they'd be clear or up to 11 and they could make a move sometime at the deadline and, and still stay under. So it was okay. Yeah. It'll probably be Derek in a first. And then that was, if it came to fruition. Um, but from what I understand, and this Casey Johnson has kind of confirmed this, the, the bulls wanted a little bit more capital and the blazers just don't have that equity. They, they, they gave up two first round picks last year for Robert Covington this, with this first round pick. That'll be three straight first round picks that they will not have had. Then um, they would have turned it into big bodied wing role-playing big wings, whatever you want to call it in Covington and Nance. Um, but I know that the Blazers kicked around um, marketing and uh, Wendell Carter jr. Mm. At the trade deadline. Uh, if, I mean, let's, let's, let's just draw, draw some lines real quick. Arturis came from Denver, right? Mm. right. Arturis uh, has a very good relationship with another itch, uh, not Vucevic, Yusuf Nurkic who came from the Denver Nuggets to the Portland Trailblazers. The Portland Trailblazers have a history of trading bigs on expiring contracts. Mason Plumlee was traded for Yusuf Nurkic. And, well, guess what? Yusuf Nurkic's contract is expiring this year and has a good relationship with Arturis and fit a need for the Chicago Bulls. So you can draw your lines there. There's been some some discussions and some relationships there. Um, So this is a long-winded way of saying, yeah, it, it made a little bit of sense for the Blazers to kick around Lowry again because that's what Neil O'Shea does when he gets his hooks into somebody. Um, I was a little bit surprised to see Nance included because from what I had heard in Cleveland, the, the Cavs were, were shopping him actively on, on his request, but they were looking more for a wing because they, they're a little big heavy. So for, for Lowry to end up in Cleveland, I think that's a little bit of a, of a weird fit, but I think if – well, if he gives a damn uh, and he commits on the other end, then it could be a good fit for Cleveland. This could be a trade that ends up working out well, well for everybody. Excellent. excellent. So, yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about the Blazers side. Obviously, you add Larry Nance, who mm-hmm. I think it's a really nice fit for the roster. Uh, provides, like we said before we start recording, good defensive presence. Um, I think you compared him to a, like a poor man's uh, Draymond, in a sense. Mm-hmm. And just the overall off season has been very interesting. I, I guess an interesting is a, a word you could use for their uh-huh. offseason. Very little activity up till now, uh, outside of uh, the 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 very uh, tenuous coaching search that was uh, that was very uh, um, problematic yeah. in in many ways. But Dame kind of. Being frustrated seems like finally showing that frustration a little bit more. How have you? How have you described you, in your view how the off season has been, and how, how are you feeling about this team right now? This is this is where you you kind of wish this is a little bit of a visual medium because you just want the the Homer Simpson gif with the end is near. You know, yeah. that's, that's kind of uh, the sky is falling. You know what, what what's going on. Uh, this is Damian Lillard's 10th year in Portland. They made the Western Conference Finals once. And as fun as it was, that it's, it's hard to draw that path again, getting Russell Westbrook's ego uh, smashed up against the wall when he tried to take Dame on one-on-one and Dame cooked him for you know a 50-burger. Um, and then a young Nuggets team not really being ready yet and going to Game 7 and then getting kicked in the face uh, by a shorthanded Warriors team in the Western Conference Finals that's been kind of the apex of, of what they've been able to do, particularly since the LaMarcus Aldridge era uh, ended in, in 2015. So that has kind of been now what, six years of not failure, but stagnation, I think is probably the best way that you can put this. 
Um, and that's, that's built upon the, the backcourt, obviously, of Damian Lillard and, and CJ McCollum, which is good. It, but it has real flaws and it limits what you can and can't do and how you can build around guys. Uh, when you throw in Yusuf Nurkic's um, injuries over the years, obviously the devastating leg fracture um, that caused him to miss basically almost two years, uh, that is something that has to weigh on Damian Lillard. And you're looking around the league right now and guys hit that 28, 29, 30, 31 years old. And much like Larry Nance, we'll talk about in a minute, they, they, they want to be in a situation where there's a real chance to win. And that you feel that weighing on Damian Lillard. And I don't think he's running from the grind, you know, to, to be, to, you know, quote the memes here. I genuinely believe that he is looking for any excuse to stay in Portland. He has an empire here. He is beloved here. He loves it here. Uh, it's a real thing. It's, it's not fake. Uh, in that regard, I think that's what's stirring some of the emotions, because if you look at the greatest trailblazers of all time, Clyde Drexler, Damian Lillard, Bill Walton, Brandon Roy, every single one of them has left on bad terms. Every single one of them. And that's, that's a real thing that I think there's a real fear, but I think Dame wants to buck that trend. Um, but again, this is a long winded way of saying nobody really knows. Nobody knows. Like, I've, I've heard that Dame has basically seen that maybe the grass isn't greener on the other side right now, because let's say the 76ers did pony up and the Blazers decided they wanted to make that move. It would gut the 76ers in the same way that the Carmelo Anthony trade to the Knicks did. There would be nothing left. It would be Joel and Dame, and they would have $100 million committed to two guys. And they'd be trying to build the rest of the team. And you, you still need that third guy. And I just don't think that, that it would, it would come, to, come together in the way that the Nets did with uh, Kyrie and, and Harden and, and Durant and what the Lakers have done, obviously, with AD and LeBron. I just don't think it's quite enough. Uh, and so you, you're in this really weird position with the Blazers right now where you just don't truly know. And yet you're doing these little moves and every single move. Is this enough to make Dame happy? No, Cody Zeller is not enough to make Dame happy. Tony Snell is yeah. not making Damian Lillard happy. Ben <laughs> McLemore is not making Dame happy. Those, and that's why I say, even the Larry Nance Jr. move, it's a good move in a vacuum. Robert Covington last year was a good move in a vacuum. But do those moves elevate Portland? Do they lift the ceiling? In, in my opinion, no. Do they raise the floor? Yeah. But we're not talking about raising the floor because Damian Lillard's floor is playoffs. There's there's 10 guys in the league, I think, who would go, this guy on your team, you are a playoff team. Damian Lillard's one of those guys. You're not trying to make the playoffs. You're trying to compete for a title. And these these moves around the edges, so, you know, rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic, so to speak, those aren't the kind of moves that they should be making, in my opinion. They should be bigger, although I, I like seeing a move from Larry Nance Jr. So what was, what was the... When when the Portland Trailblazers signed Derrick Jones Jr. last offseason to a mm -hmm. two-year, $19 million deal, he was coming off having a, I wouldn't call it a breakout season, but I feel like he gained more notoriety around the league after Miami sure. had that uh, that NBA that runs at the NBA Finals. But what, was they, what were they seeing in Derrick Jones Jr. to give him that type of deal? Not that it was a bad deal, but... What were they seeing in him, and what did they ultimately get in him last season? So the thought was, and this was predicated really on a game, uh, Portland went down to Miami on the road in January, and Derek Jones Jr. embarrassed Carmelo Anthony 
and wore Damian Lillard like a coat the entire game. It was his probably his best performance of his career. And it was incredible. And it was one of those situations where, um, you know, think NCAA tournament, a, a guy just gets dumb hot and their stock rises. Yeah, Tyrus Thomas. So, it, it, per, perfect. Listen, I didn't want to do it to y'all because, you know, LaMarcus, <laughs> listen, thank y'all. I appreciate it. But, I, you know, it, it, but that's exactly what it was. And, and the Blazers organization saw this, this point of attack defender that really was impactful on Damian Lillard. He, Derek has dumb length. I mean, he is long and he is quick and he is explosive as hell. And he absolutely detonated on the Blazers on drives, on lobs. He picked up Damian Lillard at 50 feet. And there's this thing that I always talk about with good point of attack defenders. Good defenders make a a primary ball handler turn their back. Damian Lillard doesn't turn his back to a lot of guys. That game, he was turning his back. He was turning his back regularly because Derek was using those long arms and that quick first step to kind of just get in there, poke the ball, make him uncomfortable. The only other guy I've ever seen do that to Dame consistently, I should say guys, are Drew Holiday and Ben Simmons. So the potential for Derek as a point of attack defender is there. He he does struggle a little bit uh, navigating screens or dealing with guys that are more physical, but he's a guy that you want to guard down. You want him to be a, a you know a three on the floor and then guard down to ones and twos with uses length uses he is a point one percent of one percent NBA athlete he is off the charts dumb the don't do not get it twisted he is a freak when it comes to cutting off angles being explosive he is he is that guy the Bulls and this is where I I think is probably one of the best fits for him because you've got secondary guys every everywhere. Lonzo is not a point of attack defender. If you've got him as a, a point of attack defender, you've already lost. He's right. a good help defender. Right. Derek is a, and, and, and Lonzo's big enough and strong enough where you can put him on wings. And unless there's a real, real quick, explosive guy at that three, you, you're okay with him. Zach's got some things to learn, obviously. But if you've got Derek, who doesn't have this big offensive burden, coming down and, and taking away that those guard defensive duties, then that's what they can go for. And that's what the Blazers tried to do early on. But here's a trade-off. Dame 6-1, CJ 6-3. Who are they now guarding? Now all of a sudden you've got guys who aren't great defenders guarding bigger, more dominant threats. And so it became this trade-off for the Blazers, and it just didn't ultimately work out, particularly because Terry Stotts wants a little bit more shooting out of guys. And so – you had this defensive trade-off that wasn't there and Derek was an inconsistent three-point shooter. And to be honest, the Blazers are one of the, have been one of the worst interior passing teams in the NBA. That is Damian Lillard's shortfall as a creator. He doesn't throw lobs. He's not great when he gets in traffic. Um, And so you're taking away Derek Jones Jr.'s ability as a rim roller, as a rim threat, as a dive guy coming up out of the dunker spot um, and putting it anywhere near the rim and letting him finish. Which, again, if you're Chicago, you've got Levine, you've got Lonzo, hell, you've got Vooch. You've got plenty of guys that are going to be looking for him. I think it's a better fit. And that's part of the reason why he fell out of the rotation and really why he did in Miami as well when they went with the uh, their, their version of the death lineup really in the finals. Another quick question about Derek Jones Jr. I see him playing a lot of backup four here in Chicago. How do you see that fit as far as him playing that? And obviously you've mentioned some of the uh, pluses that the Bulls have as far as having Vucevic and 
uh, the other players on the roster that could um, be more complimentary to him. But do you think he could kind of be a fit in there to kind of back up Pat Williams uh, and going forward in the rotation? The thing about Chicago and all the moves that they made recently, they, they don't really have a rim threat. Like I'm a USC guy. I love DeMar, but DeMar's not the athlete he was years ago. He, he's not that guy. Now, as a creator, he is. And I think having a guy who actively wants to roll to the rim, because Vooch is going to step out. Pat's going to step out. Zach's stepping out now. I mean, you've got so many guys. I, I genuinely believe Chicago is going to play a lot of five out. Uh, Derek's going to end up being one of your true, no doubt, rim threats. And so offensively, you can play him at the four. At the four. I, I think that's fine. Hell, to be honest, I think you can play him at the five offensively. Uh, and you basically use him in those same kind of sets. Uh, you run one five pick and rolls and they try to hide a big on him. Guess what happens? Derek runs right by that guy. And there is not a big in the league whose foot speed is going to be able to keep up with him. And you, 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 let's just go full, you know, Michael Irvin here. If I'm even, I'm leaving. If Derek Jones Jr. Okay. beats you on the roll and in Lonzo throws anything near the rim, there's not a big in the league who can jump with him. It's just, and so you see these 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 abilities that they he could tangibly be used for. It's it's pretty easy to see. Defensively is where it gets a little bit dicier. If you want to look to the good stuff, go watch the uh, Trailblazers in Game Three last year against the Lakers. Uh, LeBron still had a great game, but LeBron had to work hard, hard against Derek Jones Jr. He was pestering, he was bothering, he was forcing them into late shot clock situations. He was ball denying. He was doing all his. Braun beat him a couple of times, and then Derek chased him down and just beat it off the backboard. I mean, he does stuff where you're just like, okay, but he does give up size. Derek is light. He is, he's maybe 200 pounds, maybe 200 pounds. He is, he is, he is like a, a flamingo. Just hollow bones, man. I, I love D. He is my guy, but he is he is very, 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 very lightweight. Um, so you start getting him matched up, and everybody talks about the NBA. The the bigs are gone. Bigs are making a comeback, and the, those guys who can who can play down down low, strong, especially March, April, May, when you're slowing possessions down and grinding stuff out, especially in the East. I mean, Embiid still lives there. Giannis still lives there. You got you got big boys. And if all of a sudden he gets switched on to somebody like that, or if you're using him primarily uh, as a weak side helper defensively, or where he's got to be on big bodies and box those guys out, that's where you're worried. But offensively, yeah, I think you can absolutely stick him into the four uh, and, and use him as a primary cutter, use him as that rim threat, use his vertical gravity to kind of open things up on the outside. Yeah, I kind of wonder if he, similar to a, like a shorter Anthony Randolph back in the day where he, Randolph mm-hmm. was very just like a rim running big. He just probably would have been better suited if he somehow made it to today's league. But yeah, yeah. Just, it's very slender, not not very uh, strong defensive. I mean, sorry, um, defensive positionally, but like he could probably do certain things on defense that same way that Derek Jones Jr. can. Athletically, he he can he can cover up for a lot of shortcomings, and I think that's the big thing. Is that again, Derek's athleticism is every bit the the elite of the elite. And you see him get beat, or he dies on a screen. It's a one-two from the three-point line, and he can recover at the rim and get and still get up a chase down block. He had, I believe, the last two years he's been in the in the top five uh, in block percentage for for guys his size. 
he he's he's very very good in that vein. Um, and then again, he's got an incredible wingspan and reach, so he does get into to passing lanes. Uh, and Chicago would I think is going to be a better place for him because you guys will run a bit more than Portland does. Damon CJ don't run. Uh, right. they, they, they just don't. Levine, Zach, Vooch, they'll, they'll ignite a break or start a break on their own, and Derek is going to he'll, – he'll thrive in that regard. So the full deal is uh, the Cavaliers sending Nance to Portland and a 2023 second-round pick from Denver to the Bulls. Uh, Portland sending, of course, Derek Jones Jr. in a lottery-protected 2022 first-round pick to Chicago. Lowry Markin and signing a four-year – $67 million contract and going to Cleveland. So, uh, again, to me, it was a, it was definitely a surprising deal just for the teams involved. But looking at Derrick Jones Jr., one thing that I do do want to, that I do want to ask, and Celine mentioned Anthony Randolph. I don't know why, but a player, a different player popped into my head, and he's a former Blazer. And I could be off on this, but I'm just going to throw it out there. But uh, Trevor Ariza is someone that I thought of with Derrick Jones. Uh Shorter, I think athletically, uh, Jones is better. But I remember Ariza mm. coming into the league and being a very raw player who I think bounced around for a couple of years on some different teams mm. before really finding his stride uh, with the Lakers on that championship team as a 23, 24-year-old as that starting small forward. And he could defend really any position, could hit that three. And that's kind of what I want to focus on is Derrick Jones Jr., it seems like he's increased his three-point uh, shot attempts per season. He took mm-hmm. about uh, 2.3 attempts per game last year, a career high, uh, and makes it uh, in percentage at 31.6%. So still not great, but he's still really young. So what do you think of his shooting upside? Because I feel like if he just becomes like maybe even a 35 or 36% yep. three-point shooter, you're talking about a really valuable player if he can guard down 3-2-1 and hit that open three, and is still a really, really good athlete who should, even like in his 30s, he would still be a very easily above average NBA athlete. So yeah. what is his progress with his jump shot, and do you think that it's getting better, or do you think it's just kind of stagnant? So I've, I've talked to Derek about it, about his jump shot uh, when he came in and then during the season and the things that he's worked on um, and, and not to plug my stuff, but if, if you go on YouTube, you search Danny Moran, you can find the video um, that I, I did with Derek and you can see, we actually broke down some of his footage and, and like the things that he has done to his jump shot. Um, he, he had a, a very, um, I don't want to call it broken because broken as Lonzo when he got in the NBA that that that's that's like if you're looking for a case study and how to rebuild a jump shot that's a good place to start because Lonzo's had so many hitches cross his face inconsistent releases um, and he's mellowed it out it's it's now he's, he brings it across a little bit but it's just a two-part Derek has, has tried to get his jumper to be more two-part uh, it's still a work in progress and I honestly believe that if Derek come into the NBA and not landed with a team like the Suns, who were in a bad place um, really years ago, uh, that it would have been better for his development. And going to Miami and, and, and working in Portland, I think it did improve his confidence uh, as far as developing that shot. And I, I do believe that he can get it to 35 36%. It's just how willing is he to put in real, real crazy out? Because you can improve as a shooter in the NBA. It, it is a difficult skill. But 
it does take a commitment beyond what I think a lot of people are really willing to do. And that's not like a shot at these guys. Everybody says it's, 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 you know, it's part of their career. It's just that or the other, but you're still talking about dealing with issues that are uh, years built on. So you have to break it down from scratch. And I think he's done a good job with that so far, but he needs to continue working with it. So he had a stretch where he, he shot the cover off the ball. And then he had a stretch where he just couldn't shoot at all. And when you see something like that, I tend to lean more on it being a mental issue than it being a skills issue because you're showing a propensity that you're, when you're in a comfort zone, you can shoot well. Uh, Anthony Simons is on the Blazers. Uh, he was one of the best catch and shoot three point shooters in the entire league last year. Phenomenal. He, he is an absolute stone cold three point shooter. Just talking to him, he said, you know, it was the biggest thing for me was confidence. Confidence, confidence, knowing my role, knowing where, where I need to be. And I think when you're a role player in the NBA, especially as a young guy who's bouncing around from team to team, you want to feel the love. And I think when he got to Portland, he felt the love because he went to free agency. He had multiple teams competing for him. You know, he was a starter when he first got here. And when so you saw him do things that were you're like, oh, okay, now I see what you're, what you're going for. But when things got a little bit rough for him, and he kind of fell out of the rotation and the inconsistencies, the same kind of things popped up in his game. So I think if he's the kind of guy where if Chicago puts him in the right mindset, if they stay true to what they want him to do and he's able to deliver, I think you can genuinely chalk him down for 34, 36% as a three point shooter. I don't know if he's going to be an Ariza type just because Trevor's, even though he's a, he's a leaner guy, pound for pound is, is just dumb strong. Uh, Trevor is just, I mean, he's a different breed, uh, but I, I think if you if you stuck Derek at the three or the four, and again guarding down, and what didn't have to take on big strong physical opponents regularly, I, I think you could get the most out of him, and you could get seven to nine points, which isn't really what you're looking for. You're not asking him to be a scorer; you're asking him more to be a role player to fit in and be an impactful player on both sides of the floor. And I think that's a real realistic possibility for him because he is still so young. Yeah, and. I think one of the things that has been good about Chicago's offseason so far is that they've established a pecking order and they're no longer a team of guys who are really just out there like they're just, you know, there's free opportunity, you know, where guys can just go out there and say, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I can get 20 or I can get 20. It's, it feels like there's a team now where there's going to be there's going to be roles, there's a pecking order, you know who the top four players are. So a guy yeah. like Derrick Jones Jr., he could come off the bench and he could do his thing defensively. He could do his thing athletically. He may get some open threes that he can make. So there's not going to be any pressure for him to be something that he isn't. He's going to be able, like him, uh, Kobe White, Caruso, guys like that, they'll be able to come in and play their game. And we know who's supposed to lead this team. So it, it just creates a really good situation now. So uh, again, Derrick Jones going to another team where it feels like you mentioned he was able to kind of just play his game. Well, he'll be able to continue doing that here. Yeah. If you, if you take particularly that, that kind of bench unit, if you put Kobe out there who I love, I, I, I think he can be a great uh, spark plug off the bench offensive with his size and scoring ability and knocking down shots. You put, you put Kobe at the one and you stick Derek at the two to give him that defensive cover. Um, then you, you throw Pat out there at the four DDR at the three creating that, you know, um, additional playmaking element. And then it doesn't really matter who you have at the five. You've, you've got a couple guys who can work and dribble drives. You've got guys that can initiate. You've got secondary creators. And you're basically just letting Derek 
just run free as that, you know, uh, DDR can take on mismatches and get downhill. And now you've got to worry about Derek on a back cut. I think those are the kind of things that the Bulls will find. The biggest thing is every now and then you just, you to be on, to be completely blunt. If Derek starts making cuts and he gets looked off, he's going to stop making cuts. And, and that, now that's a real thing. I think people aren't willing to talk about in the NBA is like, you've got to keep those role players engaged. And if right. you want somebody to make those hard cuts, and I think that's where having Lonzo and having uh, DeMar is going to be huge for Chicago is you have two guys who are not just gifted playmakers. Their first thought is make a play for somebody else. And so in that regard, I think you'll have the ability to unlock Pat, to unlock Derek, to let Kobe be Kobe. And I think, like you said, having that established pecking order is going to make the Chicago team be much more efficient in there. But more importantly, they're going to get more consistently out of the others. And that's where I think a guy like Derek, Derek slots in so well. Yeah, I think the Bulls last season, I think they ranked eighth overall in team assists. But after the uh, Luch trade, they were like, they were, they finished like first in like in that time frame post trade. So, and now you again, like you said, adding Lonzo, DeMar, even um, Caruso, who's a really yeah. good connector as a passer. He, I think the Bulls, I think the ball is going to be swinging around a lot. So there's definitely going to be opportunities for guys that are cutting to the basket. I think last season we saw uh, a guy like Pat taking a really good advantage of playing off of Vucevic, mm-hmm. uh, Vucevic, I should say. And yeah, uh, Derek should also have that opportunity being able to cut to the basket. And yeah, um, I- I'm looking forward to like, it's one of the biggest things I'm looking forward to is, is silly, but uh, a full court uh, alley-oop from Lonzo to one of these guys. I'm, I, I cannot wait till, I cannot wait till the first full court pass from Lonzo. Uh, I cannot Listen, wait. The, the, the Blazers are <laughs> terrible law passers. Genuinely. Damian Lillard for being an all NBA and, and a likely first ballot hall of famer. It's one of the worst lob passing guards I've ever seen. I love Dame, love him. But because he grew up outside of the big AAU circles and he played in the half court, he didn't play with these guys. He didn't play with these high-flying freak athletes. He was playing at Weber State running pick-and-roll NBA offenses. So his, his timing, his ability to, to find that, it's not there. Lonzo, Lonzo is born and bred to play in the open court, to play right. with guys that attack like this. Vooch... I mean, Vooch and, and DDR, you know, play together at USC. Those, those are guys that, you know, they work out together in the offseason. They're on the same level. They're on the same wavelength. They understand how to play like that. And I, I, I honestly think Chicago having so many natural playmakers is probably going to be the team that has gotten the most out of Derek going forward. And I, it's just, there, there's, there's just much, a lot more, and not necessarily the playbook or the style, but these players, their intrinsic thought process, their IQ and how they go about things, their creation aspects are are higher than Portland's roster was this last year. So from an, from an outsider's perspective, what have been your thoughts on how the Bulls have operated under this new regime with Arturis Karnishevis? I mean, this is this is frankly uncharted territory for Bulls fans because I don't think <laughs> Four signing trades in an offseason where the team was <laughs> over the cap is just it's mind blowing uh-huh. because the Bulls usually the Bulls really don't make moves unless they're under the cap and it's just okay they they went out and they signed a guy who they had the cap space to afford but this Bulls team has gotten very creative in the type of deals that they've made and not only have they 
traded a first round pick uh, this all season. They've also received a first round pick mm-hmm. this all season. So it's there's been a lot going back and forth. But this front office has shown that they they're going to be very aggressive. That if they really want someone, they're going to go out and get them. And they didn't really. It, it feels like they didn't really budge in how they value Larry Markkinen. And mm-hmm. it, it came off as almost a surprise because I wouldn't have thought that they would get a first round pick for Lowry because it seemed like his market was drying up. I mean, just last week, I was thinking that there might be a chance Lowry's going to sign a QO and try this again. But he got his money and it seems like everybody is satisfied. So w- what's been your perspective just on how Arturis Karnishevis and Mark Eversley have operated so far with this Bulls team? Uh, this isn't your Garpax Bulls. That's for right. sure. Um, Jalen Rhodes said it best that uh, we Bulls finally have a living, breathing front offense. <laughs> yeah, and listen, like those those guys were were a part of building some good teams. The, the Rose teams were good, but sure. we're we're not in that era. We're not in that salary cap era. We're not in that team structure era, and they just they refused. And I, I, I'm glad Arturis got the blackmail on Jerry to get him to open the pocketbook and stop hiring guys from the same circle because Chicago is one of the three or four biggest markets in the country. Money should be no object because the white Sox and the bulls are money printing machines. Exactly. It's one thing for Portland to do that. If they didn't have an owner who wasn't worth 20 plus billion dollars who could maybe make an excuse. They don't, but again, Chicago has no excuse. Reinsdorf has no excuse. So for Arturis to get in there, because I, I think Arturis is a great, great GM. I, I when I, I got to, to know a lot of those guys uh, in Denver, 2014-15, uh, uh, that whole Denver group came down to Summer League, and I got to know a lot of those guys. As they were kind of working their way up uh, and building things up. And, you know, a, a young, skinny, fat Jokic uh, and, right. and Nurkic and – and just kind of talking to those guys and how they talk and how they, they, they go about things and how they think about things and the level of aggressiveness. Yes, the Bulls have been aggressive. Yes, there's some things that may or may not work out, but you've got Zach Levine. Like he's he's a damn good player. Is he a, a tier one player? No. Is he tier two? Probably. Right. Is Vooch is Vooch a really good player? Is he 20 and 10 and a guy you can run an entire offense through? Yeah. You've so you've got two all-stars. So why the hell not have some fun with it? You go, go get Lonzo, get stupid, get Demar. Pat, I think is going to be an absolute stud. Um, you've got guys around who I, I genuinely like what, what Chicago has done. Could it blow up in their face? Hell yes. No, but but they're, but they're taking swings. The the, the one thing, and I, I almost wonder if this was just trying to get a clean slate. The returns they got for, for Wendell and Lowry were probably subpar, to be honest with, 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 with their draft position, with their expectations. And don't get me wrong. I love Vooch. I, I, like I said, I'm a USC guy through and through. But when you're, when you're drafting Lowry and you're drafting Wendell, you're not drafting them to be role players. You're drafting them to be the dude or dudes. And neither one of them were. And so the Blazers were kind of in the same situation with Zach Collins. They got nothing. Absolutely nothing from that same 2017 draft. They could have had Donovan Mitchell. They could have had Bam. You know, the Bulls are in the same position where they could have had those guys. And so for basically getting nothing out of those guys when you're talking about what they were supposed to be, at least you got something. You got Vooch back. 
they did pretty damn well. And there's still, you still got youth. Like Zach's still not peak yet. Kobe's still a kid. Pat's still a kid. Like you, you're, you're living in the now and you still have capital behind that. So as far as like what they've been able to do to, to bring another asset in in a first round pick, no, no, good. Don't get it twisted. That first round pick from the Blazers, it's got protections on it until 2028. So it, it's, it's never going to be a lottery pick. No, it's, you, you're, you're honestly, if you're the bulls, you're hoping it conveys next year. That, yeah. That's genuinely what you want it to do because it's, it's never going to be a lottery pick because the whole Damian Lillard thing is as bad as it may get. Dame's not going to ask out during the season. They're not just going to crater that. So you're, you're hoping that it conveys this year. So it doesn't turn into two seconds down the road. So for the bulls, they got another first round pick. Is it going to be a lottery pick for Lowry? No, but they got a guy in Derek Jones Jr. Who, if you're an owner, it's an expiring salary and not a long-term commitment. When you just committed a ton, what was it? $80 million they committed this season to guys. So, so yeah, you, a lot of money. Yeah. So, yeah. Don't get me wrong. The full contracts was significantly more, but on the books, right. I think no, it was no, no, $80 yeah, million yeah. that they committed this year. Right. Right. And if you're an ownership group, you want to have an out. For $10 million, you want to have an out for this, but you want to get assets at the same time. So as far as like sending stuff out, bringing stuff back in, getting things done the, the way that they could have or best could, I think they did a pretty, pretty damn decent job. And for once, and, and this is, you know, uh, shout out Sean Hyken, you know, was uh, there at the athletic for a while. The bulls are back. You know, that's, that's, I think, I think it's, it's, it's a good thing to have another big market where I don't have to watch a Lakers or Knicks game on national TV. No, 100%. I think this offseason, all Bulls fans are like kind of just shocked at all these moves. Like, we so said, much like, all at four, once. No, exactly. <laughs> like four signing trades. We, we couldn't fathom that how many signing trades that were even possible because we talked about, you know, we don't want, we don't like to keep bringing up Gar and Pax, but very different. They were very uncreative in, in that sense. Like, it was always very robotic moves. Like, okay, well, we have cap space. Well, if you don't have cap space, all we can do is use the mid-level exception or the buy uh, the 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 BAE exception mm-hmm. or whatever you know have you and then the draft okay we'll just go into the draft and get our guy we'll, we'll start our interview before the second round began <laughs> because we don't yeah we're done that deep yeah yeah so yeah all that <laughs> stuff and you know it's refreshing and yeah they 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 found success way back like ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Credit to them for that, but in today's NBA, this modern NBA, you have to do different things, especially something I really liked about what they did with, and I know the tampering thing. Look, tamper, you, you're a big market. You can afford it. If they find you, they find you. But going out there, a guy like Lonzo Ball, that is a bigger bigger name. Now, granted, he's not an all-star. Maybe he could still develop. Who knows? But... But if that's exactly. the guy you want to go get, yeah, exactly. Go, go be again. Go be the big swinging. You know what? In a room, because you're Chicago. Exactly. You're New and York. You were. If you're not using your big leverage position, what the hell is the point of being a big market? Exactly. Trust me. I'm in Portland. I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, I'm sitting there when when Paul Allen's in charge, and they've got he's worth sixty billion dollars. I'm sitting there. There is an acronym in Portland when Paul Allen was alive. Spam. Spend Paul Allen's money (laughs) because you don't care because you have at at that time, Paul Allen up until his death, basically was the richest owner in sports. It didn't matter. 
So if it made the team better, a new practice facility, okay. You know, uh, upgrades here, spend more money on coaches there. Buy, remember, back in the day, you could buy not just second round picks, but first round picks. The Blazers bought picks like crazy. So if you if you're not trying to find every competitive advantage you can find, you're doing it wrong. And if you're Chicago, you're a major market draw. How many guys, how many big name superstars in the NBA over the last 20 years are from Chicago? Yeah, a lot. <laughs> a lot. It's a long list. Right. Leverage the hell out of that. Yeah. I- Right. And that's the, and that's the thing was where our tourists I think will and I think that's if you're a Bulls fan that's the kind of thing you have to look forward to beyond like we're going to be active we're going to spend money but we're also going to use every bit of leverage we have behind us. I also like the fact that instead of our same old Mark Bartlestein relationship, we we've got a big power hitter relationship in Rich Ball. Like I, I love that. I know he's about to sign up Zach Levine. I think that benefits him having a big star in a big market. Um, wanting to keep Zach in Chicago is going to be, you know, a, a big thing for him. Uh, it, it's a business move for Zach, but yeah, I like that. I like that we're we're dealing with like the A-listers now as opposed to the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's a great point because go take a look at that Bartlestein client list. You know what you're going to see? A lot of Portland Trailblazers. Right. A lot. Because that is, you want to talk about GMs and and, and 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 those connections. One of the deepest connections in Portland is Neil Olshay and Mark Borlstein. He has helped facilitate moves for Trailblazers for ten years. And so, and to be honest, take a look at the move that the Trailblazers made at the trade deadline last night. It was sending a clutch player in Gary Trent Jr. to Toronto. Right. So again, these are the kind of things when you're a big market that you should be taking advantage of. You should, they should be coming to Chicago to tell you they want to be there. And I think getting a, a coach in place that, that players believe in getting not just the GM, but the guys around the GM, the assistant GMs, the, the, the guys in the back office, the, the player development guys, the, the analytics guys, everybody being on the same page and understanding what the goal is, like understanding the assignment, I think that was a big, big problem in the, the previous administration because it was more the good old boy network. You had, you know, Gar Packs, and it was a recycled group of coaches. It was a recycled group of scouts. It was a recycled group of players coming from the same pools over and over again. Getting that fresh blood in there on both the coaching side and the GM side and, and basically just cleaning house allowed them to get a fresh start. And you're seeing just how significant of effect that had in what a year and a half mm-hmm. and calendar time. Pretty damn impressive. Yeah. It's uh, like I said before, it's very different than what we're <laughs> used to dealing with. Yeah. And we've had 17 years of, as Salim said, a, a <sighs> regime that is very conservative in nature and prefers to, you know, build through a draft and then add to it and doesn't really want to trade, you know, anything outside of that unless they can get it for cheap. I mean, yeah, we talked about it. Like, I think the Bulls really only made one trade throughout that tenure where it was a deal aimed at improving the actual basketball team. And it was the Otto Porter trade, which happened towards the end. We don't really count the John Salmons-Brad Miller deal because that deal was mostly about 
getting rid of Andreas Nocioni's contract and nobody yeah. knew that John Samuels and Brad Miller were going to turn into uh, Charles Barkley and Dan Marley or whatever when they got here. So they just helped the Bulls <laughs> become a really good team suddenly. So yeah. uh, it, it's just been a really different thing. And the other part is that I like the gambling part of this because they are playing by a set of rules that could be uncomfortable to some by trading draft picks, but depending on how you game it, trading draft picks for talent now can actually be a really good deal because sometimes teams really kind of overvalue what draft picks can actually do and what can actually bring. And the Bulls now are saying, hey, we'll give you this draft pick. You know, we'll put some protections on it and we'll be fine. And when it conveys, hey, we'll you know, we've got, we've already got a lot out of it. So I, I really liked how they've been aggressive in this off season, even at the trade deadline, when they made the deal for Vooch and the deal for uh, mm-hmm. Tice and Troy Brown Jr. Just, they've been just making deals, trying to improve the team and not saying, okay, let's just stick with what we got. And let's just kind of like, you know, let things play out where they do. Yeah, the, the, the whole idea of the Chicago Bulls are being operated like the, the Charlotte Hornets was kind of ridiculous to begin with, if we're being honest. Um, again, Portland has to play by those rules because they're, we're a regional outpost. They're, we're, you know, we're, we're a thousand miles from anybody. Then that, then that makes sense. And you have to get guys to come here. And here's the thing. With Portland, you, you get guys to come to Portland. Then ultimately, they end up liking it here. That, right. That's the thing. It's like, yes, it's a 90% white city. That's a hard hurdle to overcome as a young, likely black male in the NBA. But what ends up happening is these guys come here and they're like, I'm treated like a god here. But those are the those are the hurdles that Portland has to overcome day one. Chicago doesn't have to overcome that. It's a culturally diverse city. It's an economic hub of the country. There's a million different things to do. You can live inner city. You can live in the suburbs. You can. There's a million things that you can handle. You can take care of. And so for them to operate like that, because here's the deal. In the past, again, Garpax, um, outside of a draft here or there, weren't great. Draft picks, not great. Didn't didn't pan out an awful lot. But Arturis, let's go ahead and take a look at at his uh, you know campaign in Denver. Uh, Jokic, yeah, pretty good. Nurkic, yeah, pretty good. Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., we, we, we're catching a theme here. Right. They, they've done pretty well. So you're going to use that. And again, where did they pick? Where not, did they not, pick? Too, not, not too early. They, not one, two, three. Correct. No. And so you, you've, you've got a regime that, yes, they value draft picks. There's no doubt about that. But they've shown the capacity to be able to draft value propositions outside of the, the top five. And I think there's there's a, a lot of luck there, but there's also a lot of work done there. And I think that they they've got an eye for talent, and they understand that hey, we can still find the guys that we want because we're gonna be better than the worst in the NBA. We're not gonna be the Timberwolves and the Kings every year anymore. We're done doing that, and so we need to be better on the back end of the draft. And that's not to say you're going to find a you know a Hall of Fame MVP caliber big in Jokic at the 46th pick every single time, but you're much more confident in your ability because you've got a history, you've got a track record of doing so. And so, if you're Chicago, you can trade away those picks, not willy nilly, but you can be confident in knowing, hey, our proposition says 
we value player A this much. The, the likelihood that they hit the, the marks that we want them to is much higher than what a typical draft pick, even for us, is at 16 or later. So that proposition goes, okay, then let's go. Put it in the, put it in the, in the hopper. Let's see what we can get for it. Let's add it to this player. Let's see what we can get for it. And I think that kind of thing, it's not like this riverboat gambler situation. It's uh, smart and measured risk-taking. And I think that's a, a stark contrast to what the Bulls have had really for nearly 20 years. And that's why I think this is, makes part of this so interesting. Yeah, I think uh, Gar, Gar uh, packs early on, they were okay in the draft, but they did have a lot of higher picks. Like they, they got guys like Luol Deng, Ben Gordon, who had found mm-hmm. success. Uh, Joakim Noah, obviously Derrick Rose. They got extremely lucky in winning that lottery. And obviously yep. they picked the right guy between him and Michael Beasley. Um, that was, you know, so they picked the right guy there. So they had early success. And then like after 2011 on, they struggled <laughs> because I think they struggled because their scouting wasn't that strong. Yep. And they weren't. They didn't have high picks anymore. There were a lot of mid to late picks. Like the Jimmy Butler trade turned out to be really great, but a lot of that's on Jimmy just being this unknown, crazy workhorse that we we didn't know about. But yeah, I think that's what it came down to. And I, and I like the fact that AK again we've talked about so much has revamped the the scouting department and mm-hmm. the player development department. So. That's going to be a major factor going forward, especially when you're talking about developing some of these younger guys. Yeah, no, I think it's huge. And I think that you, again, you're heading down the, the, the right paths. Um, it, it's funny for like some kind of a thought experiment. I'd love to see like if every team just didn't have their, their head up their ass for one season, like everybody was doing things the right way, what moves would be made? You know, right. as far as I think you would see more teams do things that make sense more about basketball and less about everything else. Because that's the other thing is you, you have to take it there. You have to consider here is that so many moves in the NBA are not about basketball. And that's the, to be honest, that's the part that sucks is there are a lot of franchises there. They're just trying to print money. The Suns were that team for a long time until James Jones got there and convinced Robert Sarver to, Hey, we, we can't be about this anymore. Do you, I mean, do you want to be a joke or do you want to actually compete? And it took a couple of years and they were able to do the same thing. I think you're seeing that same model being applied in Chicago because that same thing with the Cronkies took place in Denver. Stingy with money, not really wanting. Then all of a sudden you saw them be successful with the Rams and they were like, hey, this is fun. Spending money is good. <laughs> and so you saw the Nuggets start to spend money. Like, hey, look at this. This is fun. And so you're seeing that same kind of thing. I think Arturis took a lot of that same mindset to Chicago with his staff and said, look, I will show you the blueprint. Give me a little bit and let me show you what I can do with it. And then he grew it and he was successful. And he said, see, look, spending money is fun and look how much more you make. And I think that's the thing is you, you're, you're getting this generation of, of GMs and presidents around the NBA, Masai's, Arturis, Conley, Maury, who were much less risk averse. And you're seeing that even when things go sideways, you can reset quickly. Look how many times the Rockets have reset already. Right. Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, now Jalen Green, like it, boom, like that. 
and you're seeing it happen. And the teams that have executives who are willing to change a culture, who are willing to, to take the right risks are in it. And then when they're not, they're back out of it and right back in it again. And I think that's for me, if I'm a Bulls fan, beyond the basketball stuff, that's what I'm excited about going forward. So, so yeah, we'll, one thing oh, yeah. I, I will say, uh, sorry, I just want to mention, I think one difference has been, uh, I think Jerry Reinsdorf is less involved with the Bulls side now. And Michael, actually his son, yeah. I think has been more accepted of like taking, like, yeah, okay, we need to do these changes. Um, obviously, when Pax, the ir- ironic part was Pax went apparently to Michael and says, you know what, I'm not the guy anymore. Let's find something else. And since then, you know, we've seen a little bit changes. And I think Michael probably does deserve credit for that because he's yeah. he's operated. He's allowed um, our tourists to operate much differently than Jerry, I believe, would have. Yeah. Getting out of your own way is a good thing. The, the yeah. same thing happened in Denver. You know, the, the Cronkies and, the, and his son uh, are standing. I can never remember his son's name, um, you know, took over operations. And all of a sudden, the Nuggets went from from pinching pennies to handing Jokic that max contract, handing Murray that max contract, taking a risk on Michael Porter Jr., even though his uh, back medicals were a disaster. I mean, those are the kind of things that measured risk as opposed to uh, a risk averse matters. And again, it's. It's a scary proposition because if you get it wrong, it can hurt you. Getting the wrong people in place can set you back. Go look at the Timberwolves. Go look at the Kings. And sorry, Bulls. Go look at the Bulls for a, a number of years. It's right. You can say what you want about the Blazers. And I, I, I have my beef with, with Neil Olshay and, and the things that he won't do. They are consistently good. Yeah. I th- and there's, there's something to be said in that regard. I think that's right. what... I think that's what Bulls fans we missed for so long. There was always that criticism of, you know, oh, basketball hell and ooh, making the playoffs every year is not all that. And it's just you you come to realize that making the playoffs every year is absolutely a value and you really just want to take your chances. I mean, is, is a team like Phoenix going to make the NBA finals every single year? Probably not, but you just want to get your foot in the door, get in the playoffs and see what happens. You never know what can happen. You never know if players are going to get injured or Mm -hmm. uh, your team is just going to get really, really hot all of a sudden. You just want to be in the dance. And I think that's what Nishavis and Eversley are really setting up for. So it's been great to see. And uh, you guys have mentioned the things that have really changed. I mean, it feels like, and we've always talked about this, it feels like All-Star Weekend in Chicago was really just such a welcoming theme because it it really just showed everyone how disconnected the bulls were from the actual city itself like from all the fire gar packs chance to i remember when common and chance were talking about the bulls on espn they're like who's your favorite player on the bulls and they just looked at each other like uh no it was it's a a great point because i i again i know a lot of media folks and every single person i talked to went to chicago that it was the the one all-star game wasn't going to like chicago winner nah not going (laughs) you know it's one of those things but everybody's like you didn't miss anything it was it was dull. It was dead. The Bulls had almost no presence. It was weird. It did not feel like the Bulls were there. Like not not, not even just the players, but like the the ethos that is the Bulls, the pinstripe. It just it was just hollow. And I think that that's that's such a weird thing 
for such a storied franchise. And so to see some of that, you know, bluster be restored is a good thing. And I, as a small market guy, I'm from LA originally. So I I kind of get both sides of it as a small market guy. I'm always going to give two middle fingers to the big market because that's just, you know, that's how it goes, but you don't want to see them be an abject disaster. Like Dolan and the Knicks, like nobody, nobody wants, well, I mean, it's kind of funny as long as Dolan owns them, but you, <laughs> you don't want to see it. You know, it's just like, you don't want to, you don't want to see Charles Oakley getting thrown out of MSG. You don't want to see Spike Lee getting held to the door. And that's the, that's the same kind of thing that started impacting the bulls is that Gar packs became a joke. Like I'm in Portland and don't get me wrong. I, I have a lot of friends who, who work and cover the, in Chicago and, or have been through there. So I, I get fed a lot, but, I should not know how sideways things have been in Chicago for years. You know what I mean? And that the fact that that, 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 that page has been turned so violently in the last 18, 24 months kind of shows you just how much that change was needed. And I think it's, it's a cool thing to see. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not good when people can have a party at your house and you're not there. Yeah. finally got an all-star game and Damian Lillard wasn't in it. Yeah. This it would be a disaster. Like it would just, like oh my god, are you kidding me? Like it would just, it's it's such a weird thing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I, I I totally get that feeling. So let me let me ask you uh, one last thing. We'll wrap on this. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it feels like there's going to be a lot of uh, pressure on both teams this year. The Blazers and Bulls, obviously different situations, but mm-hmm. the coaching will absolutely matter in both cases. And we've talked about Billy Donovan and how he's going to handle this large roster turnover. Uh, the Blazers have hired uh, Chauncey Billups, and so this will be his first season, a uh, rookie head coach. How do you see both coaches handling their respective situations and being able to maximize their, you know, you know, their different, you know, pressures that they have going on? Where you know, Portland, they have Damian Lillard. They obviously really want to go on a big run because this could be his last season there. And the Bulls have all this hype of an offseason they want to deliver. So what do you think about how these coaches are going to handle things? So I'm not a huge Donovan guy. Um, most of that stems from the OKC series against Portland. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much of that was him not being able to tell Russ to shut up and sit down or um, Russ telling Donovan to shut up and sit down. But they single covered Damian Lillard for an entire series. Well, five games because he absolutely just nuked them off the face of the earth. So in that regard, I kind of, as far as Donovan goes, but I think he's done a good job in Chicago. So if the one thing I've always heard about him is that players like playing for him, well, you know, whether it's at Florida, whether it's at OKC, uh, you you got Paul George to re-sign an OKC with Donovan there. So clearly he does something well enough that the guys are kind of respect him and fall in line. So I think you've got obviously uh, DeRozan and, and Vooch know each other. They, they, they know how to play off each other. They're, 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 they're tight. Um, I think that's an easy fit. I think Lonzo was a guy that a lot of guys in the league want to play with. Zach has that experience now of playing with Team USA, of, of knowing what it's like to not be the guy, how to fit into the pecking order. And I think that's going to be a beneficial thing for him to know, hey, DeMar's got it cooking right now. I can, I can play off him. Vooch has got it cooking right now. I can play off of him. I think those are the things that are going to be beneficial for, for Donovan this year is that guys are going to know their role a lot more clearly. And you're going to have some veteran-laden leadership between Vooch and, and DeMar 
uh, I think is going to be huge. And I think Lonzo is a guy who's just going to kind of fit, you know, get in where he fits in. And Derek is a guy that everybody has liked at every stop. So I think you've got some guys that personnel wise are going to fit right in under Donovan. And I think while the expectations are, are going to be high in Chicago, nobody's picking them to finish second, third, fourth. They're, they're being picked fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth in the East, depending on who it is. They're, I think they're a playoff team and I think they're above a play in line. I think they're a six, seventeen, And I think that's going to be a, a good spot for them to be. in. I think they've got a lot of talent defensively. I have some questions. Um, and so how that, that, that plays out for Donovan and how he deploys guys like Caruso, uh, like Derek, uh, like Patrick Williams, because I think you have to get all three of those guys on the floor because they, they all give you defensive tools that you're not getting from anybody else at, at those other positions. So I think that's the, I think it's about trying to get the minutes and the rotations right for Donovan. I think that's his biggest, his biggest issue going into the season for Chauncey. He's got to develop a rapport with guys immediately. Um, One of the biggest things there was, well, Terry Stotts didn't hold guys accountable. Well, how do you hold guys accountable in the NBA? It's with playing time. Do you think a first-time head coach, I don't care if he's Michael Jordan, do you think a first-time head coach is going to come in and tell Damian Lillard in his 10th season that if he doesn't play defense, he's going to sit down? No, that's not happening. Let's, Let's be real, guys. This isn't college. This isn't high school. So how do you keep those guys accountable? How do you get them to buy in when things are a little bit sideways? You've, you've got Yusuf Nurkic in a contract here who's a clutch client. You've got Larry Nance Jr. who's gonna who's been a starter when he's healthy, now coming off the bench. Robert Covington's in a contract here. Anthony Simons is in a contract here. Nasir Little is a, in a, going into year three, and he wants to show what he can do. CJ McCollum is going into his next big contract. Damian Lillard is going into his $50 million a year contract. So you have got a lot of different things that you have got to handle right out of the gate. And this is nothing against Chauncey. Me personally, I wouldn't have hired Chauncey. And it has nothing to do with the the 97 rape allegations. It has nothing to do with the uh, him as a coach, as a person, any of that stuff. My whole thing is you've got maybe the best player in your franchise's history, and you're going to trust him to a first-year coach. Any coach. I, I don't care if that first year coach again is LeBron James. I, I don't care. Why are you why are you taking the opportunity with Chauncey Billups when your franchise is at stake? When you've got other coaches out there, when you've got Rick Carlisle, when you've got Mike D'Antoni, when you've got other guys out there, and listen, if you want to go get a blackhead coach, go get an experienced blackhead coach. They're out there. <laughs> go right. pay the money. Like that was, that was, that was my thing. Like, so with this, this whole situation, and you can draw this line with basically anybody that Neil O'Shea drafts, trades, signs, whatever, there is some existing relationship somewhere. Chauncey Billups played for Neil O'Shea in his last year in, in, in LA with the Clippers. That is where you draw that line. That is where it comes from. And so he says, he's going to surround Chauncey Billups with experienced coaches. Well, then he goes and gets four G League coaches with no NBA experience and Scott Brooks, who wasn't renewed in Washington. That's not surrounding a first-year head coach with experience. When you watch Jaron Collins go to New Orleans, when you go watch Mike D'Antoni go to New Orleans, you watch Willie Green go to New Orleans, you watch these coaches who are much more sought after in this market go to a smaller market, a basketball hellscape, as everyone wants to call it in New Orleans, over Portland, what does that tell you? It tells you nobody wants to be here. And so why on earth would you entrust 
your franchise to a first-year coach and then not be able to support him. And so I'm, I'm genuinely worried for Chauncey because the pressure is going to be on. They've got eight of their first 14 on the road. They've got, what, two games against the Clippers, two games against the Lakers, I think, and then the Suns thrown in there in like six of the first 10 games. You better be on point real quick. All of a sudden, those roars that we've heard all summer around Damian Lillard by Christmas time, you won't be able to hear anything else. You won't be, and it's going to, and it's not, not that they can't block it out, not that it's going to dictate terms, but it's going to become a distraction because every single time that they go on the road, every single time they go on a major media market, when's Dame getting traded? When's Dame getting traded? Is Dame getting traded? What are they going to get from Dame? When are they going to rebuild? And it's just going to be the narrative. And I just wouldn't have put a first-year head coach in that position. Do I think it'll be okay? Sure. I, I believe Chauncey could be a very good head coach. I just wouldn't have put him in this position because there's just way too many different external pressures that he can't control. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's... <laughs> I know it's a lot. <laughs> no, no, no. It's absolutely. It's it's definitely going to be interesting. Like I think, like you said, I, I, it feels almost like there's potential there for Chauncey Billups almost to be a one year head coach because so much could change. I feel like if you lose, Dane well, they gave him a five year deal. So deal, if he so is, yeah. he's he's getting paid out. If he is, listen, yeah, yeah. hey, and get it, your money, Chauncey. Yeah, but it's like it happened in it happened in Indiana uh, this past year with uh, yeah, with Birkin. Yeah, so it. I mean, it it, it does happen. So it, it sometimes mm-hmm. it's just really bad situations that just really cause it. Uh, but I don't know. I I think like I was saying with uh, Billy Donovan last week. The thing that always gives me hope about what he can do is just the fact that he's been able to get pretty solid results out of different dynamics each year. Granted, those teams have had really good players on them. He's coached Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Chris Paul. He's had talent, but just having different situations each year and still being able to get into the playoffs and still Mm -hmm. being able to have a, a solid team, especially the work he did with that last OKC team that people said was going to be one of the worst in the league before the season started and they ended up making the playoffs. It's that gives, that gives me some, uh, some reason for, uh, optimism, uh, for this. It should. Yeah, absolutely. So he, he, he's, he's no, I, I am a personnel matters mm-hmm. guy. I, I think a coach has maybe a 10% impact. If you're, if you're slicing up out of a hundred percent, it's 90% personnel for me. Mm-hmm. Like, you want your perfect example? Uh, Luke Walton won twenty four straight games with the Warriors. Yeah. What 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 has he done with the Kings? It's it's not it's about personnel personnel. Well, if you want to say it's eighty five percent coaching, five percent organization, ten percent coaching. There you go. If your organization is a complete disaster, that will cause you some issues too. But I think Billy Donovan is going into the Bulls with a good organization around him, and he has good personnel to work with. And I don't think that if I had to compare Donovan to anybody, it would probably be Terry Stotts in that I think that he will get the most out of the guys at the top end of the roster and everybody else will fall in line and your baseline level for success. He'll, he'll get above that. Mm. And there's, there, there's real value in that. No, I agree. I think, I think having just an average coach or maybe even like a top like 16, 17, like I think, 
that's fine. Like you can win with that, right? Like you can win with a Terry Stotts. You can win with a Billy Donovan. You can win a title. Yes, you can. Yeah, you absolutely. Yeah. They can. They were gonna so. fire Boot <laughs> a month before the finals. <laughs> right. They were. They were Kevin Durant smaller shoe size away from firing their head coach, and he just got a new three year deal. Right. So oh, and everybody wanted to, everybody wanted to kill him for it. Yeah, you, you so don't. you can you can win a title with just good coaching. Yeah. You you don't need Phil Jackson. I know exactly. for Bulls fans that's hard to believe, but you can win without him. I well, promise you. It's because we had like Tim Floyd and Jim Boylan and all these other guys. <laughs> so that's kind of like altered it where it's just like, oh my God, like <laughs> No, bad coaching can yes. hurt yeah. more than good coaching can help. Yes. Yes. No, hundred percent. It's a players league. Yeah, yeah we've mm-hmm. said it. It's a players league. So in the end, it comes back to it. Just comes down to talent yep. on the court. Yep. The mo- the team with the most talent is generally the one that wins. Yep. This this isn't happen. hockey. It's not. Right. It's not baseball where you can get one position where one guy gets dumb hot uh, in a series, like a goalie or a pitcher, or in football, it's you know one game and done. The volatility in the NBA allows for talent to win out. So you don't get those Cinderella stories. So don't yeah. get me wrong. If you can get a better coach to help you be better in those, that 10% you area. Yeah, great. Yeah. Great. But remember going into those finals, Monty Williams had the, 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 the coaching advantage. Did it, did it matter in the end? So that's kind of where I always fall with that kind of stuff. It's, it's always, a, it's a, it's a crazy debate in Portland because there was guys that, that tend to believe that the, the Blazers were a championship caliber team and it was just Terry Stotts holding them back. So no, that, yeah. that's never the case. Yeah, it's good, good, good times. It's <laughs> <laughs> never the case. Danny. We almost had that. Yeah. We almost had that situation with Tibbs yeah. being fired and being replaced by Fred Hoiberg. It's like, mm-hmm. well, that wasn't, Tibbs wasn't holding this team back. If anything, <laughs> he was making this team look better than it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Danny, this was so great talking to you. Great hearing your perspective and outsider's perspective on the Bulls and breaking down some knowledge on the newest Bull, Derrick Jones Jr. Thank you so much for dropping by. Can you let our listeners know where they can find you at on social media? And just tell us what you're, you're working on and uh, yeah. where we can find you at. Yeah, you can find me across social media at Danny Morang at D-A-N-N-Y-M-A-R-A-N-G. Uh, you can find me on YouTube at youtube.com backslash Danny Morang. Uh, that is the host for the podcast and the breakdown series where I take a look at, well, it's all Trailblazers related things. And every now and then we'll, we'll take a look around the league uh, as far as it impacts the Blazers, um, as well as uh, player interviews and that. And then uh, on Jack Ramsey's, uh, it's the Blue Wire uh, brand's podcast for the trailblazers that i have with my co-host brandon sprague who hosts uh, local radio with me here in the morning on 1080 the fan and uh yeah other than that that's uh pretty much it i know that's a lot that's that's not really a pretty much it that's pretty much all all mediums tv radio <laughs> podcast <laughs> youtube yeah so it's uh it keeps me busy to say the least yeah, you're, you're saying really busy so i mean that's good that's really good <laughs> so, uh, thanks for having me guys i really appreciate it yeah absolutely salim any final thoughts before we wrap yeah, just a good thanks to Danny. I, 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 that's one of my favorite things to do on here is to get outside perspective, get out of that bull's bubble, if you will. But I, I love doing that. And he provided a lot of great insight um, that is much appreciated. And definitely go follow him. Uh, I don't Listen, know. I wanted to come in and bring some shade. I, I love bringing out-of-market shade. But <laughs> it's, I like what Chicago's done. I, I genuinely do. So um, I, hopefully that that's inflating some, some bulls egos uh, right about now. Oh yeah. I, I, think, oh, I, I think a lot of bulls We're, fans are really, really, really feeling confident and good heading into the season. I mean, it's, 
Well, the Bulls Outsiders guys are friends of ours too. So, Peck and Paul. So, I got to make sure I knock them down a a peg or two every now and then. So, (laughs) well, you you won a couple of bets with them uh, over the years. Yeah, they still owe me a damn pizza too. Oh Oh, no, that's not good. Come on, on, Matt, John, and Dave, get get together here. Uh, no, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this team. I'm, I'm hoping the Blazers do make the playoffs this year for obvious reasons. Yeah. Uh, I'm hoping that Dame can just drag them into that eight spot and <laughs> Listen, we'll they, get a decent pick. <laughs> they will make the playoffs. They, they like, I'm hoping. Yeah, yeah. Boring catastrophic injury. This as much as everybody talks about, and people think that I, I hate this team because I'm not blown away by trading for Larry Nance Jr. They're still a playoff team. The West is yeah. still deep, but it's still Damian Lillard. They're still going to win 45, 46 games. Like, it's – don't get it twisted. The Bulls will get their pick next year. Don't worry. Yeah, so that that's what I'm hoping for. And, yeah, it should be – it should be fun. Uh, the NBA season's a couple of months away. But, yeah, uh, yeah it, should, it should be a good time. Yeah, NBA season is creeping up. And, yeah, we'll have a brand-new Bulls team to watch. It's going to be really exciting. We'll be on TV more. So there's a lot to look forward to for the upcoming season. So I'm excited for training camp and media day. And we'll see what this Bulls team can do for the upcoming season. But, again, thank you so much for uh, to Danny Moraine for dropping by on Bulls Gold and breaking everything down. That wraps up this edition of Bulls Gold. As always, you can catch us here on the Barroom Network. Please check out our past shows on the Barroom Network. And we will catch you later, Bulls fans.